Hello there, my name is Megan Bellflower. I am a historical fiction writer and your host of Soda Pop Chronicles. Your guide to all things vintage and all things vintage pop culture. So today's podcast is going to be brought to you by Lucky Strike. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we're no longer allowed to advertise cigarettes anywhere pretty much anymore. Um, this episode is going to be about smoking in America. And I'll, and I'll get to the whole ban on advertising soon. But first, we're going to look at some history of tobacco and kind of how this smoking thing got so popular in America. A, B, C. Always buy Chesterfield, the milder cigarette. And Chesterfield leaves a clean, fresh taste in your mouth. So tobacco was first grown by the American Indians before the Europeans like came over from different regions like England, Spain, France, and Italy. And Native Americans didn't smoke habitually. They didn't smoke every day. It was usually just used for special religious ceremonies or also maybe some medical uses. Um, Christopher Columbus was really the first person that introduced tobacco to Europe. Uh, he brought over leaves and seeds with him when he came back to Europe after his exploration of the New World. But many Europeans didn't really get their first taste of tobacco until about the mid-16th century. And this was when um, an adventurer named Jean Nicot um, from France, I guess that is how you pronounce his name, or if you butcher everything like I do, I guess you could call him Jean Nicot. <laughs> um, he is actually why the name nicotine came about. Jean Nicot, or nicotine. Um, nicotine was named after him. And this man really began to popularize its use. So tobacco was first introduced to France in 1556. And in England, it was first introduced in 1565. And in the New World, when people began to colonize um, America, tobacco was actually the first successful crop that was grown in, in the New World. And the colony of Virginia was where most of this tobacco was grown. Um, it, a lot of it was grown in 1612 by an English man named John Rolfe, who we think of kind of as like, I guess, the father of tobacco. And within seven years, it became the colony's largest export. And the next two centuries, uh, tobacco was this big cash crop, and it just fueled um, North America with money but unfortunately also made way for slave labor um, so they could keep up with the demand. Um, at first, uh, this tobacco was, you know, crushed up and used for uh, smoking in pipes. You could chew it or you could snuff it. 
and cigars uh, didn't really become popular until about the 1800s. Cigarettes uh, had been around from about the early 1600s, but really weren't smoked that often until after the Civil War. So I guess what caused these cigarettes to skyrocket in the market? And the most simple explanation is, is actually war. The use of the cigarette just exploded during World War One, and this is the period between about 1914 and 1918. And cigarettes at this time were actually called the soldier's smoke. And by 1923, Camel was the most popular cigarette brand in the U.S. Uh, it controlled about 45% of the market. Why are Camels by far America's most popular cigarette? Two of the reasons are flavor and mildness. No other cigarette has Camel's rich, full flavor. And then in 1924, Philip Morris um, began uh, to market Marlboro as a woman's cigarette, actually. And they called it um, a cigarette that was mild as May. And uh, this was not the only uh, cigarette that was marketed to, to women. Actually, the president of the American Tobacco Company um, was actually one of the first people to seek the women's market. And he took a look uh, in the 1920s and saw, like, you know, the, the fashion and the glamour, the bobbed hair. Um, suddenly, women were all interested in being very thin, very glamorous. And um, this president saw the potential for selling cigarettes as an as a appetite suppressant so that women could look this certain way with these slender figures. And, um, and so he thought that he could market these cigarettes to, uh, you know, shorten their and like shrink their waistlines, I guess you could say. To battle this, the American Tobacco Company, make, they, they're the ones who make Lucky Strike, they began to market its cigarettes to women, and it ended up gaining 30% of the market. And um, at this point, unfortunately, smoking rates among female teenagers triple um, between the years of like 1925 and 1935. So, and then during World War II, which is the period between like 1939 and 1945, cigarette sales at this point are at an all-time high. No pun <laughs> intended. Um, cigarettes were actually even included in a soldier's sea rations, which if you don't know what rations are, they are soldiers' essentials, things like food. So cigarettes were actually doled out as necessary items to the soldiers. And tobacco companies, in order to get people to try their product, to advertise their product, they sent millions of cigarettes to the soldiers. And um, 
So that meant when these soldiers came back from war, they continued to buy these cigarettes, which really helped these companies have uh, loyal customers. So at this point, like after World War II, smoking was everywhere, and you could smoke just about anywhere. I mean, we're talking trains, um, just, you know, on, on the street, in restaurants, um, at the bar. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, people start to get a little bit anxious and wondering what they're putting in their body. And so tobacco companies kind of knew this was starting to happen, that people were starting to kind of get afraid of what was in these mysterious cigarettes that they were inhaling into their lungs. And the interesting thing is that doctors smoked. Um, Just about all of them smoked. Um, In 1946, the R.J. Reynolds Company, um, and if you're not familiar with it, they also created Reynolds Wrap, which I find incredibly fascinating. But this company started an advertising campaign for camels, and basically they wanted to uh, dominate the market by saying that more doctors smoked camels than any other cigarette, and so this is why you should buy camel cigarettes. And... um, The fascinating thing is that in the 1950s, if you were a pregnant mother, it was actually advised by her doctor for her to take up smoking to help her relax for for relaxation. Um, Doctors might even offer a cigarette to these pregnant women in his office while they're discussing her case. And some people think that maybe this has been connected to baby boomers, like health issues or the secondhand smoke even, like later in life. Uh, I don't know of any direct research or anything like that. Um, This is not a medical broadcast. But it's, it's, it is interesting, like I've seen, I've even seen pictures of uh, Jackie Kennedy smoking. Um, and so, I mean, we, we can't really blame these people, though. I mean, they didn't have all of the information, but it kind of makes me wonder, like, what am I doing now that is harmful that I don't know about? Like, one day we're going to figure out that microwaves give everyone cancer and everyone's going to be laughing at us saying those people back then didn't know that microwaves were giving us brain tumors or or something like that. But we, we can't blame these people at this point. They didn't have all of the information and they were marketed very heavily and marketing influences a, a lot of people. At one point, menthol cigarettes were actually prescribed for a sore throat. And if you don't know what menthol is, it is basically like a minty flavor. They uh, they had cigarettes that uh, had that kind of cooling minty taste. And I guess it would maybe numb your throat. Um, I would imagine it would make it a little bit harder to breathe. 
which would probably make your sickness worse. But again, these these people, you know, they didn't have they didn't have all the information that we do now. But as like all these health concerns continue to rise and, and people start reporting symptoms, uh, the cigarette companies, what they decide to do is try to fight with other cigarette companies to claim that their cigarettes were healthier than the other brands. In a coast-to-coast test of hundreds of people with normal throats, noted throat specialists reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Try camels yourself. Then you'll know why camel leads all other brands by billions of cigarettes per year. And they also tried really hard to seek approval from doctors since most doctors smoked at this time. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? That question was asked a few years ago of 113,597 doctors. The brand name most was Camel. Recently, that question was again asked of tens of thousands of doctors across the country. Doctors in all branches of medicine. And again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to these nationwide surveys, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Friends, smoke the cigarette so many doctors enjoy. Change to Camels for 30 days and see how mild, how flavorful, how enjoyable a cigarette can be. And so the More Doctors campaign began in January 1946. And it kind of like romanticized the the doctor and um you know it showed showed pictures of of a doctor uh sitting back relaxing with a cigarette in between his fingers um and these advertisements were first put into magazines such as ladies home journal and time magazine and so you see in 1946 this More Doctors campaign was, it was all over the place. It was in um, all different forms of media from, you know, magazines and newspaper to television to radio. And um, again, doctors were idealized. And um, you would see, you know, these images of a, like a middle-aged man um sitting there smoking with his uh, doctor's bag lying next to him. Um, and this was actually one of the, uh, like the some of the wording underneath one of these ads. And it says, 24 hours a day, your doctor is on duty. In his daily routine, he lives more drama and displays more devotion to the oath he has taken than the most imaginative mind could ever invent. And he asked, he asked for no special credit. When there's a job to do, he does it. A few winks of sleep, a few puffs of a cigarette, and he's back at the job again. So... <laughs> As you can see, again, they're trying to assure the American population that if these doctors are smoking, then it is okay for them to smoke uh, as well. But I guess ultimately, 
this use of doctors in these advertisements um, had to stop as as health evidence against cigarettes began began to like pile up. Uh, scientific results started connecting lung cancer to cigarettes, and so at this point, campaigns like this had to end, and camel advertisements had to stop using physicians in their in in their ads, and so. By 1953, um, there was a published laboratory uh, report confirming that cigarettes were carcinogenic, which if you don't know what carcinogenic means, it means um, it causes cancer. And uh, scientific findings um, basically caused this giant threat to cigarette companies and these advertisers because... Now, what were they supposed to do if this product was said to kill people? Um, So basically, how the companies decided to come back from this is they came up with the cigarette filter. And this was a new strategy for um, appealing to those who were really concerned about the health risk of smoking And in 1950, filter cigarettes were about 2% of uh, the U.S. market. And by 1960, they were up to 50%. But again, filter cigarettes could not stop all of the health um, effects of smoking. So what else, you know, had to be done by the scientific community to communicate to Americans that smoking was was unhealthy and so the next big thing that happened was in the early 60s when the uh, Surgeon General's Ad- Advisory Committee on Smoking and Health formed and so they convened um, in response to political pressures and all of this scientific research that was like starting to emerge. And so they ended up releasing a 387 page report in 1964 entitled Smoking and Health. And so on the basis of more than 7,000 articles related to smoking and disease, the advisory committee at this time, when they were looking through all of these articles and all of these medical journals, basically what they decided was that, number one, smoking was a cause of lung cancer in both men and women, and it was the biggest cause of chronic bronchitis. And so at this point, the U.S. Congress decided to adopt the Federal Cigarette Labeling, excuse me, and Advertising Act of 1965, and then also the Public Health Cigarette Smoking Act of 1969. And basically what these laws did was that it required for cigarette companies to place warning labels on cigarette packages. You've probably seen that white box on a cigarette a pack of cigarettes and it says Surgeon General's warning on it. Um, that was because of the 
Federal Cigarette Labeling and Advertising Act of 1965. And this act also banned cigarette advertising in the broadcasting media, as I was talking about at the beginning of this episode. And this also called for uh, an annual report on the health consequences of smoking. So then it's like, now, what does the cigarette companies do to survive now? I mean, their products are being marketed with all of these warnings on them and so in 1968 and this was shortly after these acts were put into place Philip Morris decided in a last stitch effort to create this new brand of cigarettes and he called them Virginia Slims you can only guess who these were marketed to they were marketed to women, especially marketed to these young, affluent, uh, independent-type women. And uh, they marketed it with a slogan that said, You've come a long way, baby. And so it's like refer- like referencing this, you know, history to women's suffrage and re- women's rights. Um with a cigarette so which is in my opinion a not super great way to talk about liberation but I mean it is um you know you're you're free to do you know what you choose um but it also came this Virginia Slim brand came with a very like colorful pastel colored package and just overall, like, a female-oriented design. And um, also, these, these cigarettes were, again, kind of went back to that 1920s idea that cigarettes could maybe help you lose weight. But they weren't allowed to say that cigarettes had any health benefits. So they just let you figure that one out for yourself. <laughs> With the name Virginia Slim. Pretty obvious there. Um, And so then what ended up happening in 1971, all broadcast advertising was banned. In 1990, smoking was beginning to be banned like in public places. So like in buses and airline flights. And uh, in 1994, then uh, Mississippi ended up filing the first of 22 state lawsuits seeking to get millions of dollars from tobacco companies for smokers' medical bills. And in 1995, President Clinton announced FDA plans to start regulating tobacco and especially its sales and advertising aimed at minors. So, where does that, I guess, lead us today? I guess where it leads us is um, we know the side effects of, of smoking, and as adults who are, you know, over the age of 18, 19, um, I think it's 19, I'm not sure, um, basically it is up to us to decide for ourselves 
whether the, I guess, potential benefits of smoking outweigh the negatives. And also, we have come up with a new thing, which the jury is still up for debate about, and that is the world of vaping, um, which I believe uses like vegetable oils and water to create um, like water vapor that you inhale instead of uh, uh, tobacco and cigarette smoke. But <laughs> that is for a another episode. Um, but if you have any recommendations on what you would like for me to talk about on this show, um, you can email me at um, bellflowerfilms at gmail.com if you are interested in knowing um, something specific about vintage history. And thank you for watching today. And I hope you come back and listen to me next time. Thank you so much.